If you are not still open to Isaiah chapter 35, I would ask that you do that. That was where our scripture reading was from in verse 8, and we will be spending most of our time there this morning in Isaiah chapter 35. That will be the main theme text of this morning's lesson. Over the past couple of weeks, Karen and I have covered a little over 4,000 miles, uh, 4,000 I think in 25 or 26, and um, so we've covered a lot, of, a lot of highway miles as it were, and I got to thinking, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about a highway, and particularly about that highway to heaven that the saints are on, that... God's children are on and traveling towards their heavenly home at the end of the line. One of those texts that talks about that highway is Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35 talks about this highway to heaven or this highway of holiness that God, even back then, some seven centuries before Christ came, God was promising to provide this highway by sending His Son some 700 or so years later. And so today I want to take a look at this promise, this messianic prophecy regarding this highway in Isaiah chapter 35. If we were to look at Isaiah 35 verses 1 and 2, we would note that it would be a highway that would be built through a wilderness or a wasteland the wasteland of sin. Isaiah 35, 1 and 2 says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of of our God. And of course we're building up to verse 8 where it talks about this highway, but the beginning verses of Isaiah 35 talk about this this land through which it will pass as a spiritual illustration and it talks again about this this wilderness or wasteland that this highway will be built through. A few years ago on vacation, again, Karen and I had the opportunity to travel down to the Gulf Coast. And I don't remember exactly, but if I have this correct, we were going on Highway 10 through Louisiana. And I think that's where it was. But at any rate, we came to this stretch of bridge. And it was built like over the bayou, over the swamp. And it went on for like 30 miles. And you just go on and on and on. It's two lanes each way, and it's up on pillars. And as you, as you drove for miles, I mean, no rest stops or anything, because it's in effect what it was was a bridge over the swamp. And it was wasteland in that you couldn't build homes there. There were no rest areas there. I mean, it was just bridges for miles and miles and miles across what was a total wasteland. And so I get that picture in my mind when I think of this bridge that God talks about, not this bridge, but this highway in Isaiah 35, as I read verses 1 and 2, and then continue into verses 3 and 4, where God is telling his people there in preparation for his building this highway. He says, Strengthen the weak hands, and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. 
You know, when you travel a lot, when you put 4,000 miles on a vehicle, you know, you can get weary. I told people when we got back, I was suffering from Jeep lag. And, and you can get weary, but God is telling His people here, as He's preparing to build this highway through this wasteland, He says, be strong. Do not fear. God is going to take care of this. Of course, we would just simply note without turning there that in the New Testament, we see this very same text quoted. And its fulfillment is tied to those who would come to Christ and into His kingdom in Hebrews 12, 12 through 27. Also, as we move on here, I want you to think for a moment about Highway 412 out here. They've been doing some work between Keystone and here on the highway and you know over the past several months that they've had cones up and they've been doing a lot of work but you know when that highway out there on 412 was getting ready to be finished you knew you could see it couldn't you as it developed as as they got the new black pavement on there and they had the little tiny lines and then then when they finally put the lines down I mean you could see the progression and as the highway was getting ready for normal use and normal speed limit and all that you could tell the progression it was getting close to being finished Karen and I also went through that last night after being gone for two weeks we had to go get some groceries so we went to Sand Springs but as we went through the bridge construction there by the exit for the Keystone Dam that's the first time that we've gone through it headed eastbound where we've been able to stay on the right hand side when we went away two weeks ago all the traffic was was on the left side and so you can tell that they're getting near the completion of that as well you can tell when these highways are, are, are getting close to completion well, as we read verse 5, God is giving a sign as to when this highway of holiness will be getting close to completion. And this is what he says in verse 5. Then, that is when God's getting ready to get this highway going and he's going to be there to save you and, and be strong and hang in there till it's finished. Then, verse 5, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. When this highway is getting close to completion, when, when this Messiah has come and, and all these promises of God that he's made about the Messiah, when those are all about to be fulfilled, there's going to be a way that you're going to be able to tell that it's almost here. Then, as I said, the eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. It'll be right there and it's ready almost to be completed and all of these promises come to completion. We know that verse 5 was fulfilled in the coming of the Christ. When Jesus came, Jesus actually quoted this very verse and said, Look, this is what's going on. And it should have made the people think, Oh, this is a sign that God's promises, this highway of holiness is almost completed. It's almost, almost ready. Matter of fact, keep your finger here in Isaiah 35, verse 5, and turn to me to Matthew 11, and you'll see where Jesus says this very thing. Matthew chapter 11, the first five verses. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, Matthew 11, verse 1, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? How do we know you're the Christ? What, what are you going to tell us so that we'll know that God's promises are, are being completed here? Are, are you that one that was promised? Look at Jesus' answer. 
Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. What did John want to know? John said, are you the one that, that we've heard about that's coming? Are you the one God promised? Or do we look for another? Are the promises ready to be fulfilled right here, right now in you? Or not? And Jesus said, let me show you something. You go back and tell John... These things are happening right here. Deaf are hearing that this is what's happening. Well, that was a sign that God's promised Messiah and everything that came with him was almost completed because that's exactly what he had said in Isaiah 35.5. This is how you will know. Jesus said, tell John he can know because this is happening. We then move on to Isaiah 35 verses 6 and 7. It says this. Then, that is... When these promises are being completed, when this highway is about ready for travel, then, verse 6, the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool in the thirsty land, springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. As we read verses 6 and 7, God's trying to paint a picture here. God's trying to paint a picture. And the idea is that when this is just about ready, when, when all of these promises find their fulfillment, when this highway of holiness is completed, it's the idea of water bursting forth, verses 6 and 7, and bringing forth lush fresh, overflowing life where there hadn't been any for a long time. There had been this desolate desert or this spiritual wilderness or wasteland of sin. And, and God says there's going to be this, this life, this, this water, this, this lush, beautiful spring that's going to be flowing through this wasteland. Once again, we see Jesus in effect saying, the time is now. The promise is fulfilled. The highway is about built. We see that, if you would, turn for just a moment to John 7. John chapter 7. Where Jesus will talk about these spiritual springs of water that are going to burst forth and bring forth life. Again, in a spiritual fashion. John 7, verses 37 and 8. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There's going to be new spiritual life bursting forth if you will just trust Jesus. Where there hasn't been spiritual life before, where there's been this desert wasteland of sin, and there hasn't been this, this connection to God, Jesus says, if you, will, if you will take me in, if you will follow me as Lord, there'll be these waters of life that will spring forth. And finally, back in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8 says, A highway shall be there. Beware. Not beware, but beware. The highway, where's it going to be? It's going to be in that, in that place and in that state that he has described in the first seven verses. 
A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. I want you to think about that phrase, the unclean shall not pass over it. You know, when you get out on the interstate highways, 44, 244, 70, 65, whatever. When you get out on the interstate highways, those interstate highways are built for vehicles to be able to go fast. There are certain vehicles that are not allowed out on the highways, the interstate system in the United States. For example, bicycles are not allowed on the interstate. Farm tractors are not allowed on the interstate. Riding lawnmowers are not allowed on the interstate. Now, on some rural roads, will you see tractors and lawnmowers and bikes? Sure. But on the highways, and when I say highways, I'm using that like the interstate system, the long distance, good, high speed roads. You won't see them. It was kind of ironic last night when Karen and I, uh, Friday night, when we got back into Cleveland, we turned to go up Miami Street. And there was a guy riding a riding lawnmower, and I thought, well, didn't see those out on the interstate, because it went along with the lesson. There are certain vehicles that cannot go on the interstate. Similarly, there are certain people that will not be allowed on this highway of holiness. The unclean shall not be allowed out on it. You know, if you have a lawnmower or a bicycle out on the highway, somebody's probably going to get killed. Because you're going along 65, 70, 75. Can you imagine bicycles, lawnmowers, farm tractors out there on the interstate system? Somebody's probably going to get killed. There's going to be a disaster. And the idea here is, in this passage, that there are certain ones who could cause damage and death that are not going to be allowed to pass over it. This uncleanness. This highway of holiness is only for certain folks, and it is those people who are clean. And by clean, I want you to think of it in these terms. In this sense, you could say that this highway of holiness is a toll road. It is a toll road. Many times when you get on a highway where there is a toll, you have to pay before you enter that highway. There's a price that must be paid before you enter onto it. When Karen and I were going back to Maine here a couple weeks ago, we went across the New York Thruway. The New York Thruway is expensive. The New York Thruway is a long ride. Six hours, six and a half, whatever it was. But the toll for the New York Thruway is $15.30 for a two-axle vehicle. Tractor trailers have a lot of fun on that road, right? It was expensive, $15.30 for toll. But we could afford that. Otherwise, we'd probably be in jail in New York. But we could afford to pay that, and so even though it was expensive, we forked over the $15.30 and kept on going. But the problem for us, all of us, on this highway of holiness, is that the toll
toll is far more than any of us can pay. The toll is that in order to travel this highway, you have to be holy. You have to be sinless. You have to be righteous. Totally. None of us can pay the toll that is required. We cannot give the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so Jesus paid our toll so that we would have the privilege of being on this highway that none of us could afford to travel on our own. Jesus paid the toll. Look at the rest of Isaiah 35, verse 8. It says in the latter part of that verse, Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. Our United States interstate system is incredibly well marked. It is incredibly well laid out. They let you know miles and miles and miles and miles before you ever get to a town, major city, where it is, which road to take. It's very well marked when you've got to take an exit. They'll let you know three miles before and two miles before and a mile before. It's, it's really hard on our interstate system. If you're paying attention to the road signs, it's really hard to lose your way. Although, I must admit, coming back, I took a wrong turn in traffic in St. Louis, Missouri. I took a wrong turn. Now, <clears throat> the point is though, that even if you take a wrong turn, as well laid out as our interstate system is, that eventually you can find your way back to where you need to be. So we went up north where we weren't needing to be, got on the beltway up there and come right back down and get on the road we we're supposed to because it's well laid out. Even a fool like me who loses his way in St. Louis uh, still didn't get lost and still made it back to Cleveland. Well, the point here is the same idea. If we are willing to follow the instructions that God has laid out in His Word, if we're willing to follow those, even if we're kind of foolish and sometimes lose our way a little bit, we can still make it home. Because God has laid this highway out so beautifully. But the problem comes if we ever get to the point that we think that we are wiser than those who built the highway and posted the signs. What if I had said on the way back, well, those people are just foolish. They said that, you know, it's this way back to Tulsa, but I don't think it's that way back to Tulsa. I want to go this way. I'm smarter than the people who built the road and the people who put the signs up there and the people who put the text up there on the signs. I'm smarter than they are, and I don't believe them, so I'm going to go this way. I wouldn't have made my destination, would I? Same way with this highway of holiness. The same way with God. We need to follow the directions that God has laid out. And if we do, even though we're fooled, we won't go astray. If we will just continue to follow God's instructions and His signs. And don't wind up exiting the highway and not reaching our destination. I do want to tell you this. God's Word has a bunch to say about the fact that we need to trust God's Word. If we're going to make our destination, we need to trust the signs. And by the signs, I mean the verses, the texts, the instructions that God has given on this highway of holiness. We need to trust those. And if we ever get to the point where we think we have a better way and we turn off and away from the one who built the highway in the first place, we're going to be hopelessly lost. And again, there's a lot in Scripture about that. Let me give you three quick examples. Keep your finger here in Isaiah, but turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 18. 
Jeremiah chapter 18, starting at verse 11. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. See what they had done? They'd been going the way of God, but then they turned into their own way. They weren't paying attention to what God had said. Verse 12. And they said, That is hopeless, so we will walk according to our own plans, and we will every one obey the dictates of his evil heart. In other words, we're not going to trust God. We're not going to listen to what he said. We're not going to watch his road signs. We're going to turn and go the way, the direction we want to go. Verse 13, Therefore thus says the Lord, Ask now among the Gentile who has heard such things. The virgin of Israel has done a, t a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon? which comes from the rock of the field, will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? Will a man leave the right way? Will he, will he leave the right path? Will he leave this God who marked the way so clearly? Apparently so. Look at verse 15. Because my people have forgotten me and have burned incense to worthless idols, and they have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in pathways and not on a highway. They've chosen to take an exit off of the highway that God provided. They've chosen to take an exit and get onto the pathways and the little rural roads. Let me, let me just say this. New York is a big state when you go across it east to west, or west to east. In that six and a half, or how many ever hours we spent on the New York Thruway, if we had gotten off the highway and gotten down onto rural roads, we'd probably still be making our way across New York. Little towns and lights and everything, instead of staying on the highway. And what these people had done, they had turned off of the highway. They hadn't listened to God. They turned off of the highway to walk in pathways, the latter part of verse 15. And they were lost in this little muddle of their own tangled roads and ways instead of staying on the highway that God had provided for them. But that's not the only place the Bible talks about this. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. The Bible has a lot to say about this highway that God has provided home. Proverbs 16 and verse 17 says this, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. You know you're on the highway when you're departing from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. And then it goes on to explain how to do that. It kind of elaborates on verse 17, what verse 17 means. This is how one keeps his way and preserves his soul and departs from evil. Listen. Verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. You've got to stay on that highway if you don't want to get lost and dismayed. You'll be happy if you stay on that highway. Watch the signs. Heed the word. The wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it, but the correction of fools is folly. You know, if I had just said, no, I'm going this way, I don't care what the signs say, just think of the trouble I would have wound up in. 
The Bible talks about this in other places as well. Back up to Proverbs 15 and verse 19. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. It's that highway of holiness and righteousness and following what God has laid out for us. And so in this lesson this morning, we see the need to stay on that highway that God has provided and to follow God's directions home instead of our own way or our own path or when we think we have a better idea. Isaiah 35 and verse 9 says about this highway. Isaiah 35 and verse 9. No lion shall be there, that is, on that highway of God. Nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Once again, as he talks about the redeemed, that means those who have been bought back. Those for whom the toll has been paid. Those who have accepted Jesus having paid their toll to be on this highway. And it says, for those people... For those who heed the warnings, for those who are not distracted by the attractions at some of the exits, for those who would obey God's law and stay on this straight and narrow no matter what, guess what? The lion and the beast are not a threat. Is it true that if we listen to God and follow God and stay with God, that we need not worry about the lion and the beast. Is that true? John 10, 27 and 28. Remember what Jesus said there? For those who hear his voice, no one is able to snatch those sheep out of his hand. For those who hear his voice and follow him. Verse 9 is telling us the same thing. If you're on that highway... You just pay attention to the signs and, and read the directions and follow them home to hell. You don't have to worry about the lion or the beast. And finally, verse 10, it says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. And they'll come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy on their heads. Don't you love that phrase, everlasting joy? I like the phrase joy in the Bible, but boy, when they put everlasting in front of it, that is awesome. They'll return, they'll come to Zion with singing. In other words, they'll get home okay. With everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness in sorrow and sighing. Shall flee away. Reminds me of those Revelation passages that we have been talking about. Reminds me of the latter chapters of Revelation where it talks about when we get home to be with the Lord, there'll be no crying. Pain and death will be gone and passed away. This passage in verse 10 also reminds me as it talks about getting home and staying on the highway and having all of that joy and sorrow and sighing fleeing away. It reminds me of what the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1. Please turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1. Beautiful passage, beautiful message, and it echoes the sentiments of Isaiah 35. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Look at the joy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. There is a home in heaven reserved for you at the end of this highway of holiness, this straight and narrow highway that God has provided through Jesus Christ and paid your toll on. 
For you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, yes, you're going to have trouble in this life. That's one of the things that makes heaven so appealing is because Satan and sin and death and pain and sorrow is not going to be there. And so if we didn't experience that down here, heaven wouldn't, would have lost some of its appeal if everything was perfect here. But it's not perfect here. But it's going to be perfect there. My God promised and my God don't lie. And so we should rejoice in that even when we're going through. Let me ask you a question. Do you rejoice in the hope of heaven even when you hurt? If you don't, then Christianity is not being allowed to have the power in your life that God intended it to. Yes, we hurt. Yes, we cry. Yes, we struggle. Yes, we get depressed. Yes, we get... I understand that. I'm human too. But especially in those times... Do you stop and think about, hey, I just got to stay on the highway because I know when I get home, this is all going to be over. And we should have that joy. Look what he says in verse 8. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Brethren, we should have joy if we're on that highway. If we're even allowed to be on that highway of holiness, if we've accepted Jesus having paid our toll, and we have a ticket with our name on it that says that we are free to be on that highway of holiness because we are clean and cleansed in the blood of Christ, we should have joy in the journey that we're on that highway. We should have joy in coming to church on Sunday to praise God who's taking care of all of this for us. We should have joy inexpressible as we look forward to getting home and having joy even more so poured out upon us because we have reached our destination. I tell you, I know we broke it up into several days. It's 1,800 miles one way back to Maine, where we were. And even though we broke it up, let me tell you what, when we arrived at the campground and oozed out of the vehicle, Boy, it felt good to know I wasn't going to have to travel anymore for a while. When I hit the Maine state line, there's a sign there that says, Maine, the way life should be. And having grown up there, you know, seeing that sign gave me joy. I've only got about an hour and 45 minutes left to go. <laughs> you know, and there was joy in the journey. When I climbed out of that vehicle and realized I didn't have to travel anymore for a few days, and that I'm not as young as I once was, there was more joy then. We should have joy in the journey now, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, knowing that at the end of this road, this highway of holiness, there's far more joy that awaits us. And the closer we get on this highway to home, the more joyful we should be. This morning, are you on that highway of holiness? Are you on that highway to heaven? Have you accepted Christ's payment of a toll that was way too high for you that you could never pay? Have you accepted His atoning gift by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and gotten out onto that highway?
And if you're out there on that highway and you've done that, are you being careful not to get distracted by the attractions at some of the exits that the world provides? Because the world has all these billboards and signs and attractions for all these upcoming exits. And the world wants you to get off of this straight and narrow highway of holiness and not live as holy and not maintain that holiness and not maintain your straight ahead on that straight and narrow home to heaven. Do you need help in the prayers of the church to avoid the attractions and exits of the world off of this highway? Are you obeying the Lord's directions and warnings and signs as you travel this highway? If you are not on that highway, or if you're on that highway, but you have been distracted, and you need the prayers of the church, if there's any way we can help you this morning to stay on, that to get on and or stay on that highway of holiness that Isaiah promised, and that Jesus provided. Will you please come to the front as we stand and sing?